Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world, and you're part of it wherever you are, and shalom and welcome to the Land of Israel Network. Shalom to you, whoever you are who's listening to the show right now. I'm saying hi to you from Yerushalayim. I know you're awesome. Great emails that you've sent me. I know you're driving the car or jogging, walking, washing the dishes, or I don't know, tuning out uh, you know, the kids or somebody else, or your boss or something, uh, to listen to the show. So God bless you. Oh, I know there's a lot of folks... Uh, like my good friend uh, Mike Berzin, who's got uh, a, a wonderful fitness uh, effort here in Yerushalayim called Jerusalem Fitness. He's my coach. He, uh, he listens to the show. But you know who else listens to the show? Our good friend Zev and Annie. Zev and Annie now listen to the show as they prepare for Shabbat, as they, as they, wa- they sponge their floors uh, uh, in, in their house. They listen to, to the show. And also, uh, last week, we dedicated the show. And this week as well, we're going to go for two dedications, that's right, to Grandpa George Reese and Grandma Mildred Reese. You know, I met Grandma Mildred, you know that? I met her. Uh, she uh, was a unique unique person, really, uh, a character, if you will. I met her one time, and her character just stuck in my mind. She was really, one of the things that I remember is that she had this beautiful yard, I think it was in Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay, whatever, and she poured, like, broken pieces of glass in the front of it so that the kids wouldn't, like, trample all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked her about that, and we just laughed. And she was just a character, one of these, you know, you know, kind of people that that you meet, and you just kind of, they make an impression on you. So, shalom and welcome everybody, and shalom and welcome to Rabbi Mike Foyer. How are you doing? And if Rabbi Mike Foyer is here, uh, that means that we're at Spiritual Cafe today. We're at Pardes yet again. Um, Rabbi Mike, you know that. Generally speaking, when it's raining in the rainy season, we love it. We think it's beautiful. I love rainy days, gray days, but it happens to be what the world would call a beautiful day. It is just gorgeous. The season is just boom perfect out there right now. It's incredible, but I have a Zionist immune system because my immune system actually loves the rainy, cold, non-blossoming days. These days are beautiful to my mind and terrible for my body. Okay, do you mean because of allergies? Allergies. Okay, so I'm (laughs) going to say a word now, which is the ineffable name, okay? (laughs) I'm going to say a word now, and you can. I know that you're less medicinally uh, inclined than I am, but there's one word for this season. It's called flixonase, okay? <laughs> Flixo. This is product placement. No, no. This, this has changed and saved my life. Really, my wife and I would be just under, under, under this uh, attack of these allergens, not with flixonase, okay? <laughs> uh, just our life has... Uh, I'm going out now to get some. You should. I went out last week, and I'm, I'm already feeling so much better. It's, and it's just a spray in the nose like twice a day. Wow. Uh, and there's, it's, got, it's got an ingredient which I really like called um, uh, steroids. That's the one, steroids. All right. Speaking of steroids, uh, it's time to get humanity on steroids when we're talking about the Torah portion of Tetzave. Okay, Tetzave. And this will rank amongst some of the harder Torah portions to deal with. Much harder in the book of Leviticus. Later on, we're going to deal with... Uh, the guts of the issue. Right. And we're going to also <laughs> deal with like uh, skin lesions, you know, the fun parts of the Bible dealing with the spiritual skin diseases. And those are, those, are, those are, to me, some of the harder chapters. This one is yet in blueprint mode. We talked about that last week. We talked about the, 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 the tabernacle and, and, its, and its vessels. Today, we're going to talk about vestments i.e. we're going to talk about um, uh, what the, the Kohanim wear. And I want to tell you something, Rabbi Mike. These Torah portions cause me to believe in God. Yes. I, 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 when I hear about this 
not what to me seems to be like a completely in, not humanly created v- a visions of of vessels investments i just like this is godly man could not have come up with this stuff this whole thing about the the this this whole thing of of a t- tabernacle of of offerings and of a of a priestly tribe and how they dress and and how the word of god comes down to them is just so no author would have come up with this not even asimov okay that's fascinating to me because I see this as the ultimate realization of the human task, which is that of embodiment, right? That, that, and that's what me makes, it, makes me believe in Am Yisrael. When I read these portions, I really think about Am Yisrael because this, you know, the Torah is not a work of theology. It's not man's thoughts about God. The Torah are God's thoughts about man. So there's a deep understanding that what we need as human beings is not just a, um, an embodiment where you have to give it some sort of form, but it's the precision of detail. That, that, that this is the great challenge of human life, is that we all know on some level that actions matter. There are certain things you do or don't do which really define who you are. But the deep wisdom the Torah is to teach us is that all actions matter. And that, that a path of holiness in the world is not about finding the key moments or the, the particular things which one does which are pleasing to God, but are rather actually cultivating a consciousness that makes every act that you do reflective of God's will. And that's what I find amazing in these parshiot. Right. And we're not saying something different, but <clears throat> when I, th- I, I, I use meditative techniques, you know, and, and to calm down and to, or, to, or to get into the mode of, of prayer or whatever it is. <clears throat> and I like to imagine the Kohen Gadol. And when I have a better sense of the technical of what this thing looks like, I'm just, I'm just blown away by it. And it's just so obvious to me that no man could have drawn this issue. It's so elaborate and ornate, and, 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 and its details are so, I mean, and the details that the Bible gives, the Torah gives us are nothing as compared to the the sugyot, the, the chapters in the Talmud that, that lay it out. And the, the Torah portion begins with a, a little uh, a nod towards <clears throat> vessels in that it tells us that and this happens by the way about this specific issue about the illumination of the lamp in other places as well sometimes it's just the Torah portion will start with it that that basically it starts with the idea that you shall command the children of Israel that they should take for you pure olive oil pressed for illumination to kindle a lamp continually continually could mean either regularly at, at, at regular intervals every single day at the same time or that the middle candle is is supposed to be a near, supposed to not go out um in the tent of meeting, outside of the partition that is near the testimonial tablets, Aaron and his sons shall arrange it from evening until morning before Hashem, an eternal decree for their generations from the children of Israel. So you have the idea here. There's two things here. One is, again, the placement of the menorah, but here also that in order to make the menorah happen, you've got to squeeze the olives. And it's a particular way. You're not supposed to squeeze them all the way so that there's no rinds. The rinds can be used for other things, but not for the... Uh, not for this oil. service. Not for this service. And and the Torah portion is just going to tell us like light, light. There's going to be a creation of light, and you gotta you gotta you know you gotta squeeze the Charmin. You gotta like you gotta squeeze the grapes to make the light. I mean, this is the metaphor, as I'm sure you're aware. For not Amisrael. the grapes, the olives. Yeah. You know, in 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 my learning of history, I often find it astounding how much pressure Am Yisrael has stood up under. And I often find it sad when I walk the streets and I see that to a certain degree, there's a there's a uh, we've internalized an amount of trauma in almost a, a warped posture. But nevertheless, the light that has come out from Am Yisrael in 3,000 years of being, you know, pressed and sometimes crushed and sometimes ground and squeezed, right? And that, that the, the purity of the product which has been produced really is 
what's being spoken of here in the parsha in the ability to give a light which is a ner tamid which is a an eternal light not just in the sense of always but in the sense of um the place where the infinite really illuminates the finite right and and also there's uh, what you were talking about what you're talking about the light that illuminates but also there's the jews the priests the dudes who do it yes the dudes who do it it's an act of agency it doesn't happen on its own meaning meaning there has to be someone to light it, even the oil that comes out <clears throat> might be the perfect product, might be the most pure, the potential is enormous. Someone has to light the spark. Right. That's right. And that's the task of the Kohanim. The dudes who do it. That may be the title of the show. We'll see. <laughs> now, um, like, I like that. Now, now, in order for the dudes to do it, you need uh, the dudes to have get up. Okay? They got to look good. They got to they gotta look good doing it, okay? And not only do they have to look good, you know, these ve- vest, vest, Vestments. vestments, right? Um, I gotta invest in the vestments. They, they, they um, are—they're not just looking good. They also have like properties. They have certain properties. We'll, we'll learn about that in a second. And it, it, remember how we started this show just five minutes ago when uh, we were talking about? You said, "Well, it's about Am Yisrael," and I'm like, "More, it's about God." Well, it's interesting because there is a mixture, admixture of those two things. When when it says that you'll make clothes for. Aaron and his four sons, for what purpose? Lechavod v'letiferet, for honor and for, and for how do they translate tiferet? For splendor. Rashi there says the kavod is for God, God's honor, but the tiferet is for the tiferet of Israel, for the splendor of Israel. Both of those things have to be amplified. And we're going to learn about six of the eight vestments. Later on, we'll learn about the seventh one. There's a hidden vestment here, which is the pants. Okay, the pants the or the knickers, the the... They were actually hidden. Right, they were hidden, and that's one of the reasons they say that the pants aren't talked about here, because they're like an underwear. Like, either, duh, you're supposed to put on underwear, or B, nobody's going to really see it, but, but it's like a basic thing, or maybe, maybe it's not to be talked about even in the Torah. I don't know. But like, that's like there is an eighth, ves- an eighth vestment, which is the, the pants. It's not talked about. And then there's another uh, 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 vestment, which is not talked about, which is the frontlet. Uh, there's another... D- Diaden, that's another word for it. It's it's this uh, the seats. The seats. It is talked about. No, it's going to be talked about not in the first. Oh, but not list. in the first round. Not yet. in the first yes. round here. And and there's the the six. And here's what they are. It's a a breastplate, and a fode, a robe, a tunic of box like knit, a turban, and a sash. Okay. And and really, no matter how much we talk about this today on the show, you have to see it for yourself. Get yourself an art scroll or many other chumashim today. Uh, uh, you could Google it in our day. You, you could Google it, and you could see exactly what it looked like. And it's 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 separate pieces. It's separate pieces, um, and we'll talk about them. And these six, and really seven, and then eight uh, uh, vestments are what the Kohen Gadol wears. What the what the high priest wears, um, and and. Um, let's see. What are we? Where are we going to start? We're going to start with the fo- oh. Every one of these, th- there's, there's a um, material that's used here, and the material is made out of four, but in this case, what we remember we talked about last week, uh, I don't know if we actually got a chance to talk about it. The, the cloth is made out of four parts. We didn't speak about right, it. Right, crimson wool, turquoise wool, silk, and, um, and linen. Okay, four parts. And in every single string... And uh, what's a what's a combination of strings called? Yarn. Uh, whatever. Uh, the weave or whatever it is. There's actually 
six strings of each of these, and together in every single like yarn or whatever you call it, a weave is 24 strings. So there's six of each string. That's when we talked about the vessels of the tabernacle, the walls. In this case, there's going to be six. I, I think the six, the sixth or the seventh string every time is going to be also a gold, gold. string, right? So these amazing, like the, the coloration of this thing is incredible. And there's going to be uh, this ephod, which is, which is a kind of, um, how would you call it? It's a type of, it, it looks like a, it's like a work, it's a shoulder, it has shoulder straps and it has a... Um, it's almost an apron. It's an apron, that's right, that's, that's exactly what it is. That's probably the most uh, useful visual. Right, so, so it's an apron. And here's, the, here's what I want to say to you, this is where I was getting to. This apron at the shoulder level, where the shoulders in the front, has two stones, shoham stones. I forgot what they're translated to, what kind of stone it was. Uh, and Oh, but this, your, your geological background is, is helpful here, right? <laughs> and these, these precious stones have in them the names of the children of Israel. 25 engraved. letters each engraved. And if you spell Benjamin out fully... With the two yuds, it has exactly 25 and 25 letters on each side. And basically, Aaron, when he walks in, he's got to remember, it says, it says, and Aaron shall carry their names before Hashem on both sides of his shoulders as remembrance. There's a, there's a disagreement here or, or a uh, um, difference of opinion of why he needs to carry it. Does he need to carry it so that God will see those names of Israel? Or that he'll keep the names of Israel on his shoulders that Aaron will remember the names of Israel. Or I even heard a beautiful opinion that, that's, that he needs to be prophetic. And the only way that he can be prophetic, Aaron, is that when he has all of Israel in his mind. Now here's my question to you, Rabbi. Here's my specific question to you. The high priest, the highest person in the world, serving God, God of the universe, who created all matter and all things that we know, he has to keep the names of 12 kids, the tribes of Israel, that's what the highest person in the highest place that is praying for the whole world needs to keep 12 folks. This is, this is a recurring theme here. Like Israel, the memory of Israel has to be on the shoulders. And think about it also metaphorically, like on his shoulders. Like that's what's going to keep the world afloat if, if the names of Israel are on it. Isn't that a little myopic? Isn't that a little small? Isn't that a little... Um, Particular. Particular, that's exactly, in a, in a, you know, for, for the man, who, who, the dude who's doing it for the whole world. So, I mean, there's, there's two parts to that. I'll get to the particularity in one second. Um, but the idea that he's carrying Am Yisrael on his shoulders um, and the, revolving around that question of, of Lizikaron, like you said, as a, as a remembrance. And as you pointed out, there's a machloket, there's a, there's a, a divine disagreement about whether Lizikaron is in reference to God or it's in reference to Aaron, whether it's, a, or it's recalling Am Yisrael to God, or it's our own keeping them in mind. And that itself defines the role of the high priest, is that the, that the priest is meant to be a bridge, right? When he comes out from the temple facing the people, he's God's representative to the nation. When he goes out from the people into the temple, he's the nation's representative to God. And in that, he maintains that ever-critical role that Am Yisrael as a whole is meant to play, which is to connect between heaven and earth, between the infinite and the finite. And so to me, it's not a surprise at all. So the question about the particularism is even deeper because, you know, you're pointing out one aspect of it, but let's get more fundamental. Okay, so now you've just spent all this effort of last Parsha of creating a space which basically can be 
etched out as concentric, not circles, but concentric squares or rectangles, what, what have you, right? You have the whole world, and then you have the yoriot, the curtains surrounding the tabernacle. Then you have the skin of the tabernacle itself. And then inside there, you have a different section between the holy and the holy of holies. Inside the holy of holies, you get my point. Inside, inside, inside. And that's where you connect to the infinite? Wait a minute. Shouldn't we be going broader, broader, broader? Why are we getting narrower and narrower and narrower? And really, it all boils down to something which we'll discuss, God willing, when we get to Parshat Ahrimod at more depth. But God says, when he's talking about Aaron, here we have a human being. And, and he says, you can go into the Holy of Holies. Here we have a point in space. And he says, you can only do it one day of the year. Now we have a place in time, right? Those three. So, so it's a particular person, a particular space, and a particular time. Yes. And those three come together only at one point, one person, one time. And God says, Bezot tavo aron. It's, in, it's with this that our own will come. And it goes on to explain what the this is, but don't miss the significance. What God's telling you is you can't relate to the abstract. You can't connect the world to the infinite through a contemplation which erases the world. The world is all about the particular. You don't have a relationship with people in general. You have a relationship with individuals. You don't, hang on one second, you don't love the idea of your wife. You love who she is. And that includes, by the way, all the particular things that someone might say to you. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to airbrush this? Couldn't you get get rid of that character trait and you know what you say, but then that wouldn't be my wife. It would be some abstraction, right? And it's really the, the difference between intimacy and, and pornography is that, that intimacy is always in the specific and therefore there's an aspect of the hidden and, and the, the limited as opposed to the pornographic, which everything's revealed. Everything's the same. There's some like ideal that, that just like has to take over and erase all difference, right? And so here our own, is taking this opportunity to connect God to the world through the very specific agency of himself in time and place. And then, of course, it spreads out through the 12 tribes of Israel because the 12 tribes of Israel represent, first of all, the historic embodiment of God's love for creation. It's important to remember that, that God loves creation. God's not some impartial judge. He's not a technocrat sitting in heaven, keeping track of people's you know, pluses and minuses. God loves the world like a father loves his children. And every father loves his children differently, each one. If you love your children all the same, you're kidding yourself. Better, less, I don't want to get into that, but you, you don't love your children all the same because they're not the same. The lesson here is that, that in the particularity of God's love for Israel, it teaches us that God could love at all. And, and that's what keeps the world afloat. <clears throat> Everything you say makes, to me, total sense. And you're explaining to us the, the, the biblical, the, the way the Bible sees it and the way the Torah sees it, the way God sees it. Here's my tough question here now. Yeah. That is not the way the world wants to see it. Like, people chafe at this. And they're always trying to reverse the polarity to that polarity that you described before that's not the way to reach out. And, I, and, and I'll, I'm going to say it even now starker, sharper. You know, Rabbi Mike, I don't know if I've become more sensitive to it or the world has indeed become, it's like, it's like the question of cancer, deal. you know, is there more cancer in the world or are we just like finding it more? You know, which one is it? Or people die of less other things. Right. Also. Now, what is, what, what, what's, the, what's the real deal? I can see today that we are at a gross dislove of Israel in the global consciousness. There are many people who do love Israel and there's many connection points in the sense, but there is a sweeping wave of, 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 of uh, derision towards Israel. 
the settlements are just a good excuse to channel that anger and hate. Sure, it's a lightning rod. Right. And when I see that the high priest, it's not the high priest of Israel, it's the high priest of the world, has to have the names of Israel on them. I could, I could hear the gnashing of the teeth throughout the world. By the way, some of those teeth gnashed are by Jews. Lots of them. <clears throat> you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm working in this field where I actually have to read. Like, I could easily just go to yeshiva and, and not pay attention to all this, but, but seeing the, 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 the global hate and then... And then and then on the, on the flip side, suddenly reading that like the person closest to God and supposed to be this, this channel for humanity towards God, he has to have the, the names of Israel written on his shoulders. Like, like, can you see the New York Times respecting that? I could see them just being like, you know, who do you think you are, Mr. High Priest, that you've got these people's names? Don't you know they're international criminals? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like Judah? That's a settler, you know? <laughs> That's a, he's, and I'm just trying to say to you that, 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 that I'm reading these Torah portions and it's great odds. Of course, that also ties into Purim, where, where there was a hate generated against Israel and uh, to the point of uh, first, first uh, uh, blemishing the name of Israel and then, of course, the preparation to actually off, kill him. Um, and so too, you know, and, it, and when it flipped, there were many people who flipped the other way, who came towards Israel when they saw the light of Israel. But that's what I see right now in the world. I see, I see a tremendous dark cloud of darkness. The world is at a very important state of transition as far as I can tell. Because you remember that the universalism, and, and on some level everybody wants that. The Torah is filled with universal. As you said, there's one God. And at a certain point, we're, we're the ultimate universalist people. There's only one world, right? Um, one creation. So for most of the... Um, History of humanity, the universalist, well, for most of the history of humanity, universalist ideal didn't exist. Let's just remember that. Right. Right. And then when it came into being, it came into being with a sense that, that the only way to get to universalism is to get rid of particularism. It's to homogenize. And if you trace particularly the heights of the 20th century, the three great universalist movements, I'm going to say something that people may not find happy, but they would be communism, Nazism, and humanism. Right, these three great universalist movements. Who isn't isn't Christianity a kind of humanist movement? Oh uh, yes, true. Although it, it had already kind of faded by the nineteenth century, but it, it's same. And 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 Islam is going through its universalist phase right now, um, in the sense that that trying and not that it wasn't there before, but the sense of trying to insist that the whole world be one thing. Right. Right. And what unites all those things? We're going to lump Christianity and in Islam in there. Is that they all understood very well in order to accomplish what they had to do, they had to get rid of the Jews. They had to get rid of the Jews because at first glance, the Jews are the ultimate particulars. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so there is a tremendous holdover from, from that vision, is that if you want to make world peace, there's just this peace that doesn't fit. Right? Whether it was the Romans who saw us as the indigestible element of their empire, or the Christians that saw us as the obstinate refusers of, of redemption, whether it was the humanists that saw us as this alien element that insisted on our sort of fanatical commitment to superstition, you know, you fill it in. The, the communists said that we were, you know, we were capitalists. The capitalists said that we were communists. You know, the Nazis just hated us because for every other reason possible. But what it came down to is that that vision of universalism was, was to homogenize. Now what's happening in the world is it's shifting. And, 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 and if you look at the world today, it's all about diversity, right? You can be who you are as long as you let me be who I am. And there's an opening 
there for the truth of universalism, which Am Yisrael carries, which is the reconciliation between the particular and the universal. Yeah, but the universalists are not big fans of the Jews either. Yes, because they haven't shifted their mode yet. There's a strange tension you'll see, and this is what you see often in um, sort of like the intellectual dissonance you see in... in um, liberal universalist humanists who will accept everyone and many Jews amongst them accept everyone as who they not just accept them celebrate others as who they are except the Jews there's a famous joke about that it's a great joke because I think it's it's a fantastic it tells it all maybe I've told it before in the show uh, but it's a truth joke, and it goes something like this. Israeli woman is traveling, uh, maybe I told you, Israeli woman is traveling in, in Pennsylvania and on a bus, and a chassid, a, a chassid comes on the bus, and he's looking all with his long white uh, black coat and the whole thing and the beard, and she says, she says to him, you disgust me. Do you know how you shame our people? Look at you. You look like you're living 300 years ago. Look at your weird hair and all that kind of stuff. We're a modern people. Look what you look like. You're like stuck somewhere, and I don't know what is wrong with you, and you embarrass me. You shame me, and you shame uh, uh, our people. And he says to her, and she's speaking to him in Hebrew. He says to her, excuse me, ma'am, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm Amish. She goes... Oh my God, such a beautiful culture you have. It's just so, <laughs> we, I just so respect so much how you're able to keep the past alive and all that kind of stuff. So, so in terms of, of, of what we as a people need to do about this is that on some level to not lose focus of mission, right? Is that, is that, is that our particularism needs to be in service of the whole. And this is one of the big struggles I find with our brothers and sisters in the settlement movement. And as I know you've struggled with, with the community there in Hebron, is to understand that the two do not contradict. That, that our right and our purpose and our mission of rooting ourselves in the land, of building a society which is reflective of the values that the Torah demands of us, is not to the exclusion of the world. It's in service of it. Because what does a Kohen mean? What does the word mean? It means to serve, right? We translate it as priest, but the better English word would be minister, That's right? right? And, and so therefore, we have to understand within ourselves, not by watering down. By the way, by the way Christian folks called this a radio ministry. I yes. like when they say that. Yes, it's a, I, it, I'm very much honored by <laughs> that this name. This young man's got a radio ministry. That's well, what why? Because the Christians understand this idea that, that what God wants is for humanity to serve mm-hmm. creation. That's right. Uh, by the way, in defense of the 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 heroic people of of Hebron. I wasn't criticizing. Them. No, no, I know. I understand what you're saying. And amongst them uh, also Uri Karzan, who's the director general who loves this show and says hi to you specifically. All right. Um, is that those people are, are like living... Hebron lives as though, on the one hand, it's got one foot in, in redemption and one foot deep inside the galut because yes. the attack... On the Jewish community of Hebron is almost like we're living in a different time. Well, I tell you, this makes me think Be- before the state of Israel. Almost, it, that's what it feels like. Sometimes. Yeah, and and I, to a certain degree, the state is like a red herring for us because the state feels like, oh, we back in we can be safe. But don't but don't forget the Zionist vision, the political Zionist vision, secular political Zionist vision of the state was to be a nation like every other, and and that's the red herring element. Is insofar as the Jews want to be a nation like every other, it will not work. But that war image, I had a friend. I'm sure I told you. Good friend of mine visited once from Vermont. Good liberal Jew, wonderful guy. Likes ice cream. Uh, loves ice cream. Ben and Jerry's. Right? Right? And he, we were driving down. Benjamin um, and your Miyahoo. Yeah, yeah. Benjamin and your Miyahoo. Yeah. We were driving down the old Dead Sea Road, and he saw the the uh, separation barrier, as we like to call it, right? And he asked me, he says, like, how do you feel with your kids growing up, seeing this big wall and the barbed wire every day? And I said, I feel good about it. And he said, what? 
I said, well, listen, you live in Vermont. It's a beautiful place. They don't have to see it. But the, just because the walls are in Iraq or in Mexico or are economic barriers that have been created that you can't ever see, don't kid yourself. The walls are a part of the problem of our world. And insofar as my children are going to be forced to see this, then they're going to be empowered to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right? But insofar as you live a life of luxury and you don't have to see it, don't kid yourself. It doesn't mean you're living in a better world. Right. I, I, I actually understand that very much. That's I, what's I, happening in Chevron. They are on the front right. line. And, you, and, and, and there's a health. Yesterday I took, a, I took a two, uh, two Gentiles to, to Hebron. And I parked when where Arab school children were walking all around us, and some of them were making faces at this. And and the wife there was, she said to me like afterwards, she's like, I got a little scared. And I'm like, well, that was what I was trying to do. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I wanted you to actually understand that Israel isn't just Disney World. It's not Epcot Center. You know, it's like real, and the challenges are real, and the war is real. You know, and and we're fighting to make it here. And I, I just didn't want you to come out and be like, oh, that was beautiful. Like, like. Get get like a moment where like whoa the, 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 the there's a there's an effort to erase and re- remove and, and and destroy and and we're fighting against that. But the key is we have to keep and it's a superhuman task. But we have to keep in mind is that we are fighting that task for humanity as a whole, and it's superhuman. But but we're the Jews, and we're we're meant to be just that. Is that our particularism and the fight to maintain our health and safety as a people cannot stop short there. It must be in service of God's plan for all creation. Speaking of superhuman, um, superhuman a lot of times in, in Judaism will mean communication with the other, and the real other is Hashem, right? In the sense that he's, n- we're, n- we we're are not, not him. <laughs> yeah, although our soul is a part of him, but we are not him. So in order to connect, uh, you know, God talks to humanity but I, I'll say it in a weird way, but in a normative situation, the way God talks to us is through this thing called the breastplate of judgment. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you shall make a breastplate of judgment of woven design like the craftsmanship of the ephod. You shall make it gold, turquoise, purple, scarlet, wool, and linen twisted together. You shall make it. You got to square it over so it's folded so that you can later insert insert this uh, this scroll that has the 42-letter name of God, which sounds something like this. Just joking. I'm not going to... I don't know it. We can sing the song. Yeah. 42-letter name of God. And here is the the fun part, which is... Do you remember the old game Simon? Yes. The full Simon, not the four Simon. Okay? Yeah, no, no. The, that's the, how I think of it. Right. There's a there's a, there's there's three rows and f- three yes. rows, four columns. columns. Okay, three... Yes. No, no, no. No, no. There's three columns, four rows. Okay, it's three across, four down. Okay, I, I know. I just want to say this right here, and it's got to be, um, it's got to have these semi-precious stones, and they're they're actually explained. There's names for this. the The art scroll here does not. You they use the Hebrew names, but they're, they're these are known more or less. Some of them are questioned, but these are known precious stones. In in any case, it uh, the um. The the top row is Odem, Pidda, and Bareket. Uh, the second one is Nofech, Sapir, and Yalom. The third row is Leshem, Shevo, and Achlama. And the fourth row is Tarshish, Shoham, and Yashfeh, set in gold, right? So there's these like beautiful, like, beautiful uh, 12 uh, stones. It must have been such a beautiful thing. Not very big, yes? Oh, well, you mentioned my, geo- my geology background. Yes. And so this, this has always spoken to me. And I, and it's, That's what I thought. It, 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 it's a wonderful thing. If you think about it, throughout 
human society. Why take stones from the earth and then without human stones? society? On one level, the answer is quite obvious. They're shiny. Yeah, they're shiny. They're, they're shiny. shiny. <laughs> and, and 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 that can be like a very crass. I mean, like, why is gold precious? Because it's shiny, right? And it, and malleable. Right. But on on another level, this is a very deep principle and this goes to the heart i think of of all these vestments and the and and the, and the tent and the altar and all this like the, the theatrics here what's going on what it's doing is it's the redemption of creation because what you're touching is that human desire to have that which is precious yakal right in hebrew right because it's shiny because it's rare because it's unique this is laying the seeds to be able to fight the great wave of amalek which exists in our today because you know you can take that word yakar and you can reverse the letters, and you know what you get? You're not reverse, but rearrange. Carry. You get happenstance. Because the reality Carrie, is... Carry? I hate carry. Oh, uh, we're not going there. <laughs> right? You get, you get happenstance, meaning, how, why do these stones exist? Well, because there was a certain pressure, and the, and the, and the, the water came through the crack this way, and, and then over the course of time, it happened that way. I mean, it's completely meaningless. It could have been otherwise. And in fact, most of the time it is otherwise, and that's why they're so rare. At the same time, you know, and by the way, and this is what Amalek says, oh, it, it could have been otherwise. This is the whole story of Purim, right? It could have been otherwise. So don't say that this is meaningful. You were born here, and the, your parents were there, and, and all the circumstances, all happens. It could have been otherwise. And that phrase, it could have been otherwise, can lead to the nihilism of Amalek, which is, and therefore, it's meaningless. We believe in nothing. Yes. Or it can be, it could have been otherwise, and therefore the way it is is just so precious because, because this is unique. Wow. And, and those stones in the breastplate really represent that, is that, that the, the standard of the world, the, you know, the masses of sand in the, by the sea, the mountains of basalt and granite, that's, that's not where God wants to meet us. The craftsmanship of creation is in its uniqueness, just like it is in every human being. Because ultimately, the Kohen Gadol is superhuman and represents that, that incredible confluence of, of person, place, and time, as we spoke about. But you know what else they represent? They represent the potential of every human being. right? As the Gemara itself says, that, that, that a non-Jew that learns Torah, says Rabbi Meir, is greater than the Kohen Gadol who is an ignoramus. Because the, Kohen, because the Torah can transform any human being into that link between heaven and earth. And so therefore those precious stones represent the preciousness of the uniqueness of creation as a whole and therefore the potential of every human being. That's a very, I like that insight very much. And every moment, I guess. Every moment. I, I also always thought of it as kind of representing elements, the, the, the elements that are found in this world. And I like to... You know, think about like where these where these stones came from, and that they represent a piece of Africa and a piece of South America and a piece of. You it's know, definitely binding the other creation. Right, and 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 here we go again. Guess what? The names of Israel are found on the shoulder stones, but yet again they're found on these twelve stones. They're engraved onto these twelve stones. Um, again. And behind these 12 stones, check this out, is the mysterious Urim Vatumim. Urim means light, and Tumim means like whole. I, into the breastplate of the judgment, like behind it, there's a fold. You shall place the Urim and Tumim. They shall be on Aaron's heart when he comes before Hashem. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel on his heart constantly before Hashem. Now these things later on in history, they're going to kind of, the, the stones are going to kind of light up. There's going to look like a little like, 
the the lights. Like Simon, like you said. Right. It goes, doo, 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 doo. But and only when they're asked a question. Right. They're asked a question. And then these letters, uh, you, you, you have to combine the letters and, and kind of understand the message. And there's like answers. Um, um, they will they will give you answers to your questions through the combination of the names of Israel. So the names of Israel themselves, when they light up, they're going to give you, um, um, they're going to give you answers through the names of Israel. Israel will give you the answers. You know, this reminds me, by the way, of Israel's. Um, I've been always very critical <clears throat> of the Hasbara industry for using the innovation nation as an answer to all things. I find it to be ridiculous that when they ask you or, 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 or confront you by saying you stole somebody else's land, then your answer is, well, we created the cell phone. Yeah, right? we gave you the Casper mat. We gave you whatever. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we go to Haiti, all these kind of things. But I have learned also that I've started understanding what they actually mean by that. We're creativity. We're trying to be light. And therefore, we're not the people of darkness. We're trying to be people of light. And sometimes, you know, the Chinese think that Israel's creativity or success comes from learning the Talmud. Yeah. You know. Well, the opposite is true. <clears throat> the Talmud is a product of our creativity right. and light. Right. And, right. And, and the power of the Talmud is that it's an embodiment of a great age of wisdom, which they managed to preserve so that those of us who don't live in that age can still access it. Right. But they don't know that there's an inner light that is channeling God's knowledge. Insofar as the Jews know that that inner light is there, the world will know that that inner light is right. there. And insofar as we deny it, it will not be there. Yeah, I, I see a lot of denial of that recently. Anyway, <clears throat> let's speaking of denial, speaking of denial, and it's that's not just a river in Egypt. Egypt. That's right. <laughs> um, speaking of a river in Egypt, uh, there is conspicuously absent from this Torah portion is one Moses, our great teacher. Okay. This Torah portion is all about the getup of the of the priests and the high priests, and later on the initiation or the the investiture, whatever yes. you want to call it, the the, the investiture, the investiture, the the startup, the the first moments of the the winding up of uh, all the, the 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 ceremony to kind of vest the priests with their job. There's somebody who's going to be effectuating that. The, you know, but it's like in a car. You know that you have the engine. Everybody knows there's an engine. But what people don't know is that when you turn the key, and not, not in the new cars, not in, these, uh, not in the Toyota Prius, but like in the, old, in the regular car, there's a little starter engine. There's a separate little engine. That engine like starts with the key ignition, and it gives it a push to the, to the engine. So too, the starter engine here is one Moses but he is hidden here. Now, there's various uh, explanations. One of them is that later on in the next Torah portion, he's going he's gonna to get, you know, when God says, I'm going to destroy Israel, he says, you know what? Erase me from the book. I don't want to be in your book if you're going to destroy Israel. So, so somewhere that had to happen. That happened in this Torah portion. Another explanation is that when Moses didn't want to go rescue the Jewish people, then God said, don't worry, you know, Aaron's going to help you out. And, and when he meets Aaron, Aaron is so joyous to see them, to see Moses and Aaron is three years older. He's supposed to be the kind of emissary to Israel. But somehow he's totally happy that Moses, his brother, gets this, uh, uh, this job, this tafkid, this role. Uh, but Moses loses the priesthood. Because he did, he refused to go and, and get the Jewish people out. So this week's Torah portion is all about Aaron, and in a sense, Moses is serving Aaron, not Aaron serving Moses. And Moses's name is conspicuously absent. This always ties in um, amazingly to the Megillah, the Megillah Tester, which we're going to be reading 
uh, this, uh, for some people, Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday. For us Jerusalemites, uh, for me, for, for you, Saturday night, Sunday, right? Yeah. And for me, Sunday night, Monday, uh, here in the walled city of, Jer- around the walled city, walled city of Jerusalem from the times of Joshua, um, in that God's name is conspicuously absent. He's making it all happen, but he ain't there. Seemingly, on well, the face of it. And it goes to the heart. I think it goes to the heart because God's name is absent, but his presence is felt everywhere by the critical character, Mordechai. And he's able to bring that sense to Esther, and it's when he awakens her to the fact that God is not absent. God is present insofar as you let him in. It says that she's she's lavish malchut, right? She, she clothes herself in royalty in her own royalty, in God's royalty, and she goes and does what needs to be done. In the same way, that's exactly what's happening to Aaron here, is he's clothing himself right. in Malchut. And, but who's making that happen for him? It's actually Moshe. Moshe is the one who's... He's dressing him. He's dressing him. He's running around. He's making sure that things get made properly, etc. Right. So his name is not there, but his presence wow. is completely embodied in, in Aaron's actions. Cool. Okay, and this is the great. We're segueing today so uh, so smoothly. This segues right into the robe, right? The robe uh, is also made out of um, uh, it's out of tchelit, but this is the best part. On its hem, it's got these pomegranates of turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool on its hem all around, and golden bells between them all around. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Torah: Pamon zahav rimon, pamon zahav rimon al shulei mil saviv. It's got a, a, a golden bell and a pomegranate, golden bell and a pomegranate around the edges of the of the of the of the meal. I I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> why is that one of your favorite verses? Just like it. Uh, no, the, excuse me, the food, not the meal. I just I just like this imagery. No, the meal. Like, uh, the um, uh, right. Um, the meal. Uh, just one second. I just want. Yeah, meal. That's right. Meal of food. Maybe it's yeah. the same thing. Meal of food. Um, uh, these these are many technical things, so it's easy to get confused. Uh, but there are people, by the way, just remember here in Eretz Yisrael, there are people who specialize in this. Yes. And the Machon HaMikdash, the Temple Institute, has recreated this. And lest you think that they've made it into a museum model, in their mind, they have created working, working, uh, totally uh, usable versions of these things so that if, at any moment's notice, when. they can be I- implemented. That's right, when, exactly. I don't know why, but I love that verse. I just... You know, I don't know the golden golden bell and a pomegranate. The golden bell and pomegranate. You know, not long ago at Ir David, that one of these golden bells was discovered. A golden bell was found in the drainage pipe, um, and and when you see it, you're like, oh my god, this golden very well bell could be have gone into the holy holies with the high priest, right, on Yom Kippur. Now, 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 uh, you you remember. Um, you remember one of my favorite movies, The Blues Brothers. If you didn't know that about me, it's a little... Actually, I didn't know, but it doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies. Um, should we and, start quoting it or should I hold back? Well, well, there's, you know, there's uh, when they go into the into the house of God there, the church, right? Who's the reverend? What's his name again? Um, I don't remember. No, come on. He's very famous. You know, he's a very famous soul singer. I just forgot the name right now. Anyway, he says, I, I hear the jingle jangle of a thousand lost souls. Okay. Uh, and uh, what's his name? Come on, it'll come back to me. Um, so the jingle jangle, there's a jingle jangle that's happening here at the hem of this uh, thing that 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 Aaron, uh, that Aaron is wearing. So that, check this out, in order that he shall be heard when he enters the sanctuary before Hashem and when he leaves, so that he not die. Don't you come in here not announced? Wait a minute, G D. You know when 
when Aaron's coming in or not. No, you've got to like make a noise. You got to make a jingle jangle. You got to make a knock on the door. In fact, uh, the, there is a lesson learned here that that that, that our that our sages teach that when you a man a person walks into their house, they should still knock. Yes. If you ever seen rabbis walk into their own house, they're always knocking first before they walk into the door. It's just basic decency. But again, I think it goes into that sense of how you establish intimacy, right? You don't establish intimacy by being able to barge into somewhere unannounced. You establish intimacy by by um, allowing the other that space to cover. And 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 here, this is the ultimate intimate space. I mean, Aaron goes in alone. And to me, that's always one of the most powerful images of everything that's happening here is in the end of the day, everything that he's doing is preparing himself to be able to go in alone to God. And it's teaching us a deep lesson that everyone, everyone meets God alone on some level, but not unless you prepare. Right. So, so you have to, what, what do you have to do? You have to like, let it be known. Well, I mean, like, like how do you, how do you make that jingle jangle? To, yeah. I mean, you have to clothe yourself and then, uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting, interesting <laughs> question. What is that jingle jangle? The jingle jangle of the thousand lost souls in the movie was, of course, Reverend uh, Cliffus James, but it's uh, James Brown. It's James Brown, of it's course. James, James Brown. Brown. Of course, it was. Jingle jangle of a thousand lost souls. I love that scene. Any case, that might be the title as well. That's right. Jingle, <laughs> that's a good one. The jingle jangle of a thousand lost souls. That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, let's just go through two more investments very quickly here, and the first one is uh, the the seats, the seats. It is basically. A plate of gold that you wear on your on the the <laughs> that the high priest wore on his forehead, and it had three little holes in it, one in the middle and two on the sides that had this tchelet cloth, turquoise cords coming out of it. They would tie around it itself. Kind of formed a type of hat, and it was like it, it was like, you know. <laughs> A lot of times when I make uh, uh, some kind of meme, a picture, then we want to add words right to it. Um, and this is exactly what happened. If you're wondering who, what this man is. Who could that strange man in right, those clothes be? <clears throat> what is he exactly wearing here? It says on his forehead <clears throat> as though it's written on his forehead, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's, I think, that, by the way, that idea of written on his forehead is just across every language I know anyway. Yeah. It's like it's written on his forehead. And what's written on his forehead? Kodesh Hashem, holy unto uh, and then the Tetrachromaton, holy unto God. That's what this person is. And it's so important because from here we see that core meaning of, of holiness, which is devoted to, right? That, that everything that he has done is not about himself. He's not dressing up for success. Yeah, he's not trying to look, he's not a sharp-dressed man, right? What it is is that everything he's done here and all the effort, incredible effort that the Bible describes to make these vestments is in order that he can be completely devoted to God. And that's really what the expression of the tzitz is. And what I always love about it is the tzitz also, um, I always feel like for our own, it's got like a, um, an exclamation mark at the end of it. He's wearing it. He knows exactly what it says. And in fact, it says that he's never, while he's wearing it, he has to be conscious that it's on his, his forehead at all times. In the same way we say about art to fill in, that when you're wearing them, you need to be conscious that it's a, it's, there's a problem with what's called you can't remove your, your mind from them. But I feel like everyone looking at our own sees it with a question mark. It's asking you a question. Are you, are you Kodesh Hashem? Because look at me. Like, I, I, I am. I've made it here. I'm, I'm, everything I'm wearing is reflective of my devotion. How about you? I, I like that very much. And I think also as a meditative tool, think about yourself having that, that, that forehead plate frontlet or diadem. That's a word I learned. Yeah, that you, imagine that on your, on your forehead. Does it say holy to Hashem? This is why our sages wore their tefillin at all times. Right. 
Because the reality is, is that, you know, I often think about it, I'm in shul, and I'm thinking you should bind them as a sign upon your arms, and they should be as a reminder between your eyes, and you put them on the doorposts, teach them to your children, when you lay down, when you get up, when you're walking by the way, say, whoa, hello, obsessive. Yeah, like, obsessive. You know, if this is so important, <clears throat> then, then, then uh, well, like, what are you so worried about? And, and, and the reality is, is that, that we know that the human mind is, is, is eminently flighty, but incredibly deep. Right. And so therefore, I mean, and, and, and I must add that we are living in, in I, don't, I don't know how the human mind's going to cope because we are living in, I was driving today and the lady in front of me, I could see she was looking down on her phone. Yes. And I was like, I was like society is more dangerous on the road today than ever before. Yeah, we're killing on ourselves. On the road, on the road. We yeah, are we're killing ourselves. You know, and I, I must say, I, I, fall, I fall to it as well. And I, like, I chide myself. To, to be more, sometimes when I want to do something on the phone, the real thing to do, pull over, pull over, take, like, ch- just give us five more minutes, be late five more minutes, but if you need to do it, pull over, okay? But, like, we're living in a super ADD society, and these phones are, like, the, it's never been so powerful, so keeping your mind on anything, keeping holy to God, and not being swayed, there's also Netflix, Reminds me of Flixonase, but not as good. Okay, Netflixonase. Okay, Netflix is like, <clears throat> and another thing, by the way, is speaking of that, just parenthetically, when you make Aliyah today, when you come to live in Eretz Israel, you can stay in America mentally. Yeah, like never before. When I came here, we had aerograms yes. to send to mom and dad. It was hard to make a phone call to America. It was a pain. I had to connect to the AT&T operator and read her because the phone didn't give you enough times that you could press a number. Okay, so I had to actually call the operator so that I could give her my number on the card so that I could call my parents. And it was hard. It was hard. Okay, today, oh my God, it's like I call my mom when my mom is outside. Now she made Aliyah, thank God. When I got to call America, I like call cell phone to cell phone and it cost me nothing. Right, you know, yeah, you know how you call your grandparents; they still can't believe it. So they're like, "It's great talking to you." Blah, 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 bye. Yeah, exactly. It's a great <laughs> like, it, like it just cost ten thousand dollars to talk to them. Yeah. Like Safta, uh, it's not like that anymore. You know, no, they can't believe it. The the change has been so rapid. But we, in a sense, we're also losing the ability to 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 drill down deeply, as you were saying. The mind has that ability, but we've become flighty. Famously, millennials, who we deal with often, have. Well, it's, I don't like to say it because I don't want to diss a generation here, but they are less deep. They're much more, or, or, or let's put it this way. I'll, let me put it nicer. They're less schooled in thinking deeply. Yeah, I don't know if they're less deep. I mean, I teach many millennials here in this fair institution. Um, uh, Pardes, pardes.org.il. Yeah, wonderful place if it's for you. And th- there is a real depth there, um, but, but there's also a... Um, Gosh, the the price of connectivity really is um, patience. Mm-hmm. Is, is sitting with things. I mean, I, I can tell you as a teacher that um, the number of students who are willing to spend a year learning Torah is is diminishing throughout Am Israel. Why? Mm-hmm. Because people say to you, well, wh- "I don't understand. Like, what could I possibly need a year <laughs> to get?" And 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 this is the big challenge because on our cell phone, content is now infinitely available. The Gemara has, a, has an argument about whether the master of content is the greater sage or whether the master of, of wisdom, the ability to analyze, is the greatest. It's called the Sinai versus the Oker Harim. So, so people think that, that content has won because now it's, it's everywhere and everywhere available. But the problem is, is people don't understand that a year of learning is about, not about gaining content. It's about transforming your 
person. And so therefore, that level of commitment, when you're saying, well, but, but if I really want that content, I've got it all on my phone. Like, why do I have to learn it now? Or, or if I learn it now, I might forget it. And, and like, what's the point of having learned it? Is that the process itself is transformative. And transformational processes take time. I, that's plus, the, plus, you are not going to master the, come on, just on a simple level. There is so much content to master. No, but my point is is that, that, that people are living in this illusion that I can just ask Google. And it's not entirely an illusion. Right. I mean, there's an incredible amount of information that's right. out there. And, and, and of course, as the primary tool, when my students say this to me, I say to them, they say, yeah, but you have to know how to ask the question. Right. right. Because garbage in, garbage out. By the way, we have a mutual friend of ours. His name is Daron, who is like one of the biggest winners we know. And yet he has taken off a year to just learn Torah. I mean, not just taken off. I mean, got to give credit where credit is due. Is that that the city of David, the as an institution that that um, gives him that support to do so? Yes, amazing, amazing, amazing that that that, that people do that. And, and just to, yeah, you know what I mean. I'm, uh, you know, the the only thing I could say to you folks, everybody listening, is we got that. It's called Shabbat, and it's important to disconnect to reconnect. Okay, disconnect from this world, reconnect with spirituality, use that day, maximize that day. I'll tell you, I've been even having issues about having guests, although it's a big mitzvah to have guests and bring people, but I'm like, I need to maximize this day with my kids and teach them because it's such a world of disconnect. I need to reconnect on this day and give them the time, give myself the time, give God that time. Of course, you have to give it to guests as well because they also are, are dying for that or, or, or wanting to live for that connection. Okay, uh, uh, just one more point about the seats. This uh, head plate, uh, it's got super awesome powers. Uh, you know, let's not make it all square. There are some times when that thing shoots a laser beam, a traction beam. And what I'm talking about is when Phineas uh, puts on, you know, there, what's his name? Uh, evil wizard uh, uh, Bilam, you know, flying overhead, shooting lasers down at folks. Phineas, you know, uh, 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 puts on the... the, the um, this head plate shoots a laser out of it, okay? Brings him down like David Sling, booyah, all right? <laughs> and and I, like, I just, I think that it's important. You missed your calling in Hollywood. I'm telling you, I, I like to see when, when Phineas shoots lasers uh, out of the head plate. I mean, there's powers there, folks. There Stay are powers. tuned. Yeah, there, there, are, there are powers out there. Don't think it's all a bunch of librarians, okay? There's, there's like, there's flying wizards. There's, there's lasers being shot, and, and, and God's power is awesome. All right, and, and it comes through this head plate. Um, then the Torah is going to go through a large section about the, how did you call it? The inauguration ritual. It's very complex. Uh, it has in it, it has in it, not only does it have sacrifices, not only does it have 30 different kinds of breads, not only does it have uh, these things, it also has different body parts of the animals that are waved or put on the altar in different ways and burnt in different ways. And, and the diaphragm with the liver, the two kidneys, the fat that is upon them, you shall cause them to go up and smoke on the altar. And I'm not even going to go into this. It's incredible that we're not going to... Remember what we talked about? We talked about the, the man who's the, the dude that does it, right? Then we, we talked about the, the intricacy of the, of, the, of the clothing. We talked, of course, last week about the intricacy of, of the vessels of, and the tabernacle itself. Now the intric intricacy and the intricacies of the stones and that they come from all over the world, they recreate, connect to creation. Now the intricacies of biology, the body, the animal body is going to be dissected and respected for its different parts. And, and offered. And offered. And offered up. What's that about? 
I don't know. Do you really want to get into offerings now? I want to save it to the book of Vayikra. You I know, mean, I mean, yeah. it, it's it, it's a it's a full explanation. But one of the things I would say is that it's a critical piece here because you might sense that these are everything that's been done up to now is what we would call in today's language value added products, right? <laughs> These are these are luxury items, value added products, and 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 Aaron is now the best dressed man in the world. Yes. And you know what happens to the best dressed man? He doesn't hang out with the guy on the street anymore. He forgets his roots, right? It doesn't matter how he grew up. He's 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 high society. And 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 here it is, there is a critical, critical thing which could be missed, which is that Aaron's purpose is to connect every level of creation. Right. So he has to know. By the way, you were once an amoeba, and, and then you were a worm, and, and then, I don't know, maybe you were a dinosaur, and then you were a cow, and, and then you were a chimpanzee, and now and you were human, and then you were part of Am Israel, and now you're the high priest, and you've got to bring that all with you when you go inside. You've got to bring it all. You can't leave anything behind. And that, that beautiful purple robe, don't forget that it came purple because you crushed a snail to get its guts out. <laughs> Yeah, not only did you, you crush the, the, the you crushed the the shell of the snail. Right. You got the snail out. Then you got to just open with a the, knife open up that little die sack. Right. You basically got to cut that. You got to kill that snail just for a little die sack. Yeah. And you got to do a lot of those. Oh yeah. To get to get your little. So but, 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 well, so before well, I think we should leave it to Vayikra the full discussion of, of yeah, sacrifices. Sure, sure. But in the context here, it really emphasizes that that this is the gateway. You've done all this work, and you might think that what you've done is you've created a pyramid on top of which stands Aaron, and that's all that matters. And that, and that everything else is just what we call in, in the Gemara, hechitimsa. Like, it's a necessary precursor to his, his ennobled existence as the sharpest-dressed man in creation. But no, he needs to understand that his sort of leather Gucci shoes were once a cow, and he needs to have that mm. in mind, just like he carries <clears throat> on Israel in mind on his shoulders. He's got a carry with him the entirety of creation because his goal is to connect between heaven and earth not between part of this and part of that that's very interesting what you're saying and and i just want to tell you that rabbi tendler always tells us that the reason that on yom kippur you're not supposed to wear leather shoes because leather shoes symbolize that i'm a master over the animals the animals are masters over you know the, the vegetation vegetation is a master over the inanimate and when you wear those leather shoes you're like i'm the boss that's right, you're standing up on it. Right, I'm standing up and I'm the boss. I'm using you, Animal Hide, for me. Similarly, the priests are working their work barefoot. In fact, so, so much so that in the winter here in Yerushalayim, they had a heating room where they would have underfloor heating so that they could, so they could get back to work because their feet were frozen. If you like the meditation, you should keep this in mind when you put on your tefillin. Because, you know, we think often that tefillin, which are made of leather, of course, are about the content, the scrolls in which the words are written, and even the words are about the ideas. And, it's a, and that's all true, because ultimately it's there to connect you to the unity of God. But if there's a unity of God, then the cow that gave its skin to make your tefillin need to be part of it. Okay. Um, wow. This, we're talking about so much stuff. Everything's so important. And, it, you know, it's, it's God's Torah, so it's, it's hard to, to skip over parts. Um, but, it, but, you know, we're limited in time. That's also part of our reality. Uh, we began the, this Torah portion with, with the menorah and, and, and crushing the, the olives to, to make that pure, pure oil. We finish off, and that's light, and that's the eye see it, uh, maybe you can feel it. But we're going to finish off with something completely different, and that is uh, the final kind of vessel. We're going back to vessels for a second, and, and it's got to tell you something about this vessel. If this is, we did all the vessels, and now we did the vestments, but suddenly there's one last one, and that's the inner 
altar, the inner Mizbeach, which is also called the golden Mizbeach, as opposed to copper outer Mizbeach. Inside, close to the menorah, is this golden Mizbeach, which is also known as the incense Mizbeach altar. And basically, you shall place it before the partition that is by the Ark of the Testimonial Tablets in front of the cover that is on the Testimonial Tablets where I should set my meeting with you. Upon it shall Aaron bring the spice spice up in smoke every morning when when he cleans the lamps. He shall bring it up in smoke. And when Aaron kindles the lamps in the afternoon, he shall bring it up in smoke. Continual incense before Hashem for your generations. You shall not bring an alien incense on it or an elevation offering or meal offering you're not supposed to pour a libation upon it. It's just for this, the right incense. Aaron shall bring atonement upon its horns once a year from the blood of the sin offerings of the atonements. Once a year shall he bring an atonement upon it for your generations. It is holy of holies to Hashem. The incense offering, the smoke, the mystery, the scent, this very soulful sense of the humanity, the, that's the kind of completion. Why, is, why did the golden Mizbeach get this position of not being with the rest of the vessels, but here at the very end, the, the sense of smell. In my understanding of the architecture of the Mishkan, the Mizbech Zahav, the golden altar, represents consciousness. Because it's there inside the holies, not in the holy of holies, inside the holies. It, it, it's between the table to the north that sort of like we spoke about last week, the, the, the kingship of the world, wealth, structure, and the menorah to the south, and we spoke about that light of wisdom. And what lies between them is your consciousness. And, and the, the incense are, is the taking of all the components of the world. And, the, and then, as you pointed out, grinding them down and offering them up in, in that way in which smell really is such a powerful, you know, evoking of the wholeness of experience. And so it, it's lined up, of course, in the middle, directly with the kaporet, that covering over the ark, which lies just behind the, 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 the barrier that's been placed, the cloth barrier. And so then when I think about in prayer, that, that, that really incense is the, is the sort of ultimate expression of prayer. It's a gathering of all the elements of the world and, and a refining of them and an offering of them up. And in, in this case, these are not metals and these are not stones that are being ground up. This is now vegetation. Yes. And it's not even animal parts or anything like that. It's all no. ve- vegetable. It's, it's, the, all, it's all, what do you call it, grown. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, herba. The, it, it's the base level of life. Right. It's all so, the components of life. So we had the components of the breastplate, which were the geological. We had the, the biology of the animals that are dissected and given up different parts. And and here we have the we didn't we didn't actually learn about the makeup in this week's Torah portion of the incense, but that's a big part of this thing. It all comes together in this like super fixing thing, and of course the names of Israel uh, are always upon it. All right, Rabbi Mike Foyer, we finished up the Torah portion of Tetzaveh, you know, on 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 the on the superficial level that we that we could touch it at so many more levels, but thank God for this. Uh, of course, we're dealing with the Book of Exodus. Um, uh, and it's chapters uh, somewhere in the late 20s to 30. Um, and we talked a little bit about the connection between this week's Torah portion and that Moses' name has gone to the story of Purim. And we don't have uh, time to go in depth, certainly, into one of the most awesome books uh, that Judaism has, this incredible human drama play 
that is just so perfect, so awesome. Every word is so calculated, so politically true, so spiritually true, so active today, these issues. Uh, I wanted to play a little game with you about about Purim, which is uh, which is part of Purim is 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 putting on masks and and kind of paradoxically not knowing the difference between good and evil. Isn't that kind of funny? Like we're commanded that we're supposed to actually get to the point where we don't know between good and evil because everything is God in the end of the day and God is even using evil to do good and good to do whatever. It's all, it's all one. It's all one. Uh, at the same time, though, there's an unmasking. Isn't that a big part of, of Purim, a demasking? Haman is is unmasked. He at first is a you know important guy, good guy, serious guy. He's he's a serious guy. He's got a suit and tie. I mean, he's the he's the keynote speaker at the event. You know, come on, you know what I mean? He's <laughs> he's he just signed a book deal. The guy's serious. By the way, President Obama just signed a sixty-five million dollar book deal. Advance. Advance. Dang it. Anyway, <laughs> so that's 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 wrong. Anyway, soon by you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, so uh, you know, but he's he's at the end of the whole thing. He's unmasked his 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 hate, his vitriol, his, his the whole thing, his 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 uh, contempt for the king, and for and for and for and for the Jews certainly, and most deeply his inadequacy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, here he says that most powerful line that I find is. He brings together everyone who supports him, his wife and all, and, and he de- details all of his wealth and his power, and he says, none of this is worth it to me. If there's one person who defies me, you right. just hear the depth of his inadequacy. Right, that's that's a good point. I, I, I actually think the same thing, but on a different verse when he's like, well, who would the king want to honor more than me? Yeah, that's also a good indicator. <laughs> it's me! <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to just unmask a few things. This world has become topsy turvy, you know. It's like I, I think I just, it's always been that way. I don't know, <laughs> you know. I just want to say to people like Palestinianism, not individual Arabs and Palestinians and all that. Palestinianism, which facially on any Facebook page, right, as in prima facie proof, are calling for the destruction of Israel. That's not good. I know it's been sold to the world as the good. And the Jewish people who are trying to come back home to their ancestral homeland, you know, Jews are from Judea, like the prime minister said, um, who are like giving jobs, giving life, having children, and trying to live in peace, they're not the bad, all right? Palestinianism is not a liberal cause. It is actually a front for the most illiberal thing. If I could tear one mask off in this world, is to just be like, these dudes are not, the dudes that, that you're fighting for are not liberal at all. They're quite illiberal at the end of the day. There's the most li- now again. I'm not talking about individuals here because I, I do respect the fact that there are many individuals who may even identify themselves as Palestinians are not anti-Israel and could be our friends and could live with us. We could find quote unquote peace. Okay, there's an ideological movement which has swept the world. I mean, I forget what this woman's name is, but the, she's directing the next women's march. She's speaking Sarsour. at sewer. Yes, she's speaking at which, like, by the way, means uh, the Hebrew trans- agent. <laughs> Go between. Well, sarsur usually refers to in in, in Hebrew as a uh, pimp. Yes, okay? yeah, and, well, that's like slang. Yeah. No, no, uh, sarsur means pimp. The sarsur is any go between. We don't have to okay, argue about okay. it right now. Yeah, but not like a, it's not a positive word. No, it's not a positive word. Okay, it's now, like well, it's the, like there there is a um. I just root it. You know, when I talk about unmasking, unmasking, I always go back to Am Yisrael. Is that is that we have so trained ourselves to keep our light hidden 
because we feel that that's what will make us normal, will make us acceptable, right? And and there's these deep roots of trauma, and 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 the fear, like you've always called that fear that we have some inner Nazi, that the the, the minute that we'll let out our love of self and our sense of mission, that we'll immediately try to like drink the blood of the world, which is what the world has told us we've been doing all along. Yet there's no evidence for it in our our history. Quite the opposite. On the contrary, right. and so and so, I feel like if anything's going to be unmasked, let's unmask Israel. Let's unmask Am Israel. Hey, people, you're out there to fix the world. Right. Be who you are. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to go. Uh, th- those are, that's you're aiming your shafts at the world. It doesn't no, interest no, me. No, no, no. It, it's. Um, it, uh, <laughs> if, 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 if the good is bad and the bad is good, it's very hard to reveal that. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm trying to climb out of a defensive posture all the time, yeah. it's very hard because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly being framed. Yeah, well, listen, the defensive posture is real in the same way that there are all kinds of stuff that happen in this country that I would prefer didn't happen. I, I want to give one example of that, okay? Yeah? I want to I compare for you two young gentlemen, two soldiers, our boys. One of them is Gilad Shalit, and the other one is Elora Azaria. Mm-hmm. Gilad Shalit was a failed soldier. In, men, in, in, in the whole situation of how he got captured, there was failure after failure. After, he was sitting in a tank. He could have gunned down the terrorists around him. He could have run them over. He could have just kept the lid shut on it, and they wouldn't have even been able to get him. And basically, he was a very failed soldier. He really did not withstand the pressures necessary to be a, 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 an active soldier. And he, he could have even given his life and been a great, remembered a great hero. But instead, what happened was, is that he, he, he gave in, he surrendered, was taken captive, which is like the last thing you want to do. And then, later on, Israel, because of the chemla, because of the great uh, feelings of, of um, mercy. mercy that we had for this young soldier, gave away a thousand terrorists, including the guy who's the head of the military wing of Hamas now, because we gave him out of Israeli soldiers. About nobody's made this public, but I, my calculations about ten people have been murdered already by the people released, and that's directly right, directly, and, and and but he was lauded, and it was it was a great moment of like wow, we did the right thing, right, and, and yet really what it was it was it was a successive weakness, successive by this by this soldier, and then by the state of Israel, over it was overcome by this false sense of mercy, in my opinion, and and the whole thing was a great tra- tragic and strategic loss. For Israel, as opposed to Elor Azaria, who uh, was a soldier, who seven or eleven minutes after uh, a, a terrorist that came to kill and stabbed his friend was down, but still moving around, Elor Azaria aimed his M16 and executed this this jihadist, uh, this terrorist. Now, again, I say this honestly: I don't think that he acted in within accords of what the army laws are, bylaws, and he probably didn't need to do that. But at the same time, obviously, what he showed was a kind of robust, you know, we take out bad guys. We shoot bad guys. That's what we do because we're Jews. We're back. We're not going to, nobody's going to mess with us. And in fact, after the video came out for weeks in Hebron, there was no uh, uh, tax against us because people like, whoa, Jews mean business, okay? And he acted in a, should we call it virile, uh, aggressive. Definitive. Definitive. I like that. Definitive and, and, and clear action. And he shot the bad guy. He executed the bad guy. Oh my God, the IDF hired an external lawyer, brought him out of uh, retirement, paid him a million shekel to prosecute. Really? Yes, to prosecute our own soldier and to make a public show trial to show everybody how we're not like that. 
Of course, the people rose up against that and said, no, this guy's a, if anything, he's a hero for standing up to this aggressiveness of trying to, to. So what, what I'm saying here is, and I, and I could see it exactly when Mordechai was around. When Mordechai was, was standing up to, in very, uh, what you call a definitive manner, to Haman, everybody was like, dude, you're, 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 you're putting us in danger, in great danger. And he's like, no, we have to stand up to this. And they were like, you are the, you are the real danger, uh, Mordechai, not Haman. You are endangering us because you're putting us in this situation. Uh, and, and they really, they didn't like him. He was against the system. And then in the end, it all turned out that, that his way was right. But, uh, but it was a backwards world at, that, at the beginning of the Megillah. Oh, there's so much in that. I mean, the, I don't even know where to begin. Man, I'm just going uh, to leave it with you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the only way to continue this conversation is through a... Over a glass of wine. That's right. Three. That's right. <laughs> that's uh, tell us a little bit about, about Purim for you, about, about, about how, you know, how, how to do Purim right, um, the drinking, that, that whole thing. I mean, I mean this, is, this, is, this, is di- this is diametrically opposed, opposed to the, the Yom Kippur of fasting, of, of, of you know, of kind of... Well, it's, it's diametrically opposite, but I don't know that it's opposed because the Yom Kippur and Purim actually are addressing the same thing, which is the, the meaning of existence. You know, on Yom Kippur, to bring us back to our parsha, Yom Kippur is the day in which all the structure of last week and this week actually reaches its culmination. When the when the one person at the one time and dressed in the right things goes into that one place, one moment on Yom Kippur, right? And that's and 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 that's an expression of the fact God says. The, but there's a lot of solemnity there. There's a lot of solemnity, and God says, I, I dwell with you even in your impurity. Right? It's, it's the ultimate divine mercy that, that God is with us no matter where we are. But you know what it doesn't do? You know what, uh, what Yom Kippur doesn't do? It doesn't tell us why. Why would God want to dwell with us in our impurity? Purim comes to answer that question. Mm. Because what Purim says is the reality is everything which is perfect and divine Everything which is actually holy and devoted, God doesn't need you for. God can have that on its own. It's actually everything which is messy and broken and uncertain and temporal, that's what you have to offer to God. And that's why the parallel moment when Esther, the parallel moment to Aaron going into the Holy of Holies, which happens, which we express on Yom Kippur, in Purim is when Esther goes in to Ahasuerus, she goes into the king. And you know what precedes that? It precedes the, probably the best pep talk in all Jewish history, right? Mordechai comes to Esther and says, listen, I know you're hesitating, but don't think just because you're in the palace you're going to get saved. And he says two things to her. He says, right? that, that salvation is going to come to the Jewish people no matter what. And it's important to remember that. The story cannot be stopped. Right. What does he say there, though? But you and your father's house, mi who knows? Maybe this is your chance to actually be who you were created to be. What kind of encouragement is that? He doesn't say, this is your moment. Go big. He says, not sure. Could be. But one thing is certain to me. If you don't take the chance, then you're lost. Right. Right? And that's because the reality is our lives are authored by ourselves. God gives us the paper. He gives us the pen. And says, here, are you going to make something of this? Don't don't try to make something of it in the divine scheme of things, because God says I got that. Don't worry, the story will continue. Right. But you 
Are you going to be a bit part? Right. Are you, are you going to be the protagonist? Are you going to be, God forbid, the antagonist? And that's the power of Purim. And, 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 and that is inconceivable. It's, it's ludicrous. Because right? that goes all the way down into Amelie. Because then no, nothing matters. I could just do whatever I want. God says, yeah, you're right. You could go there. Or remember, you could say, wow, it's never been like this before. And therefore, this moment is so precious. And that's why the call on Purim is to go to that place of Adeloyada. Right? So the place until you, you no longer know. Not a descent into stupid drunkenness, which is unfortunately what people think it is. But it's an embracing of the fact Note that, to self. Not yes. stupid drunkenness, Rabbi Mike says. Okay. No, no, for sure not. In fact, I would say that luckily it's forbidden to, for a person to drink if what will happen when they drink is they become a lower animal. Right. Right? The, the purpose of drinking on Borom is what we call right. that when wine goes in, that the secrets come out. The Torah that you drink all year is what you will let out on Purim. And it's always an indication when you see what happens to people on that day. So, so, so just to, to, to finish the image, so that Adeloyada, that place of not knowing, is, is, a, is a birth of a wisdom which is not confined by the human capacity to know. Right? And what that does is it allows us to engage a God who is not a reduction and a reflection of ourselves, but is truly the Redeemer whose capacity is infinite. Because I let go of my need to be able to grasp and I enter into real relationship. That's why Esther doesn't know what's going to happen when she goes into the king. Right? Could be death. Could be life. But she says, I'm going anyway because I, I, I'm gonna I want, put, I'm gonna I want put, to be there with him. Right. And, this is, and, and who knows if for such a time. Yes. Le'et kazot. And you know, you, you know for one thing for sure, that if you don't go, right. you're lost. Right. You're going you're gonna to miss it. Yes. You're gonna it will it. happen. The story right. takes care of itself. God is not going to fail on his promise. Right. But you have an opportunity. Okay, Rabbi Mike Foyer, uh, just a few more minutes here. First thing, uh, a few, uh, a few uh, not homeworks, what do they call it? A few uh, housekeeping. Ha- housekeeping issues. Uh, Rabbi Eitan Levy is an awesome tour guide and driver. He's got his own little Jeep vehicle. And a musmach of Sulam Yaakov. That's right, that's right. He, 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 uh, he mentioned that to me. Check out his awesome website, Rabbi. Great guy. Great guy, great tour guide. Also very special, very special. Sweet. And, and we'll show you also like... The specialness of the land of Israel. Rabbi Eitan. Eitan is spelled E-I-T-A-N.com. Rabbi Eitan.com. Beautiful site. He's got style. He's got style. Amen. He's got style, and he knows to show you the style of Eretz Yisrael. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Nice. Check out um, Israel Rolfing uh, on Facebook. Israel Rolfing, if you want to kind of straighten out your life physically as well as spiritually. Uh, Dr. Brown is gonna. He's got soda for you, and he can. He can. T- he can make you so healthy and strong. He has m- helped me straighten out my 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 outside and inside. IsraelRolfing.com. Uh, check out Jerusalem Fitness. My my friend Mike Barrison. That's my other rabbi, Mike. But he's not my. He's not a rabbi, but he's like my rabbi in that he teaches me so much about my health. Uh, so check that out as well. This show is dedicated today. Uh, to Grandpa George Reese and Grandma Mildred Reese. Mildred, miss you so much. Miss, passed away just so not long ago. Such a special lady uh, who was really, uh, and, and she raised an awesome, awesome family, including our awesome friend Annie. And uh, thank you very much for dedicating the show. I also, how could I forget uh, my good friend Jack, uh, who is not only a supporter of the show, but he's also a supporter of, um, uh, of everything I, uh, we do and I do. And, uh, and I want to thank him. Um, and Lillian, his wife, and Sarah, and Nathan, and, and Moshe, all the good folks there. And I've got a lot of uh, new donors uh, who recently just, just threw in, you know, 18 bucks or whatever it is uh, into the pot. Um, 
at uh, at ishaifleischer.com. Really appreciate also our parent network, which is the land of Israel.com and the new farm that we're building out there to bring in the, the, the light of Torah to, to Jews and non-Jews as well. That's really cool. Um, and I want to thank you also for your emails, which again we haven't gotten to, um, including Esther's email. I guess I should read Esther's email. <laughs> she somehow misunderstood my question that I threw out about compassion to, to, to terrorists, and, she, and I threw it out in the title. She said, Shalom Yishai, why do you have compassion on the terrorist? If you as a soldier is down on the ground, do you think he will hesitate shooting you when they are shooting and stabbing you in the face or back without a thought? Come on. It's folks like you who allow immigrants to freely come in and take over your Ooh. country establish and establish Sharia law. Wake up, Yishai. Signed, Esther. Apparently she didn't listen to the show. She yeah, just read it, the title. I, I th- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Esther, or, or she's never heard you speak. Yeah, Esther, God bless you. You're right, 100%. I'm going to change my ways and become a little bit stronger than the bad guys. Uh, you're absolutely right. Drop the gun. That's right. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Rabbi Mike, I want to wish you a fantastic Purim. Uh, it's such an important, important, important holiday. Um, we are here at, at Parties, which is a kind of liberal institution. Uh, there's another liberal institution called Godcast. Have you ever seen them? They, they yes. make these. So they have an Esther, they have a Purim tale. Okay, they have a Purim tale. I'm telling you very quickly and we're done. And it goes something like this. The whole thing is right until, everything is the regular story, until it ha- this is how it ends. S- Esther stands up and is like, King, I'm a Jew. And Haman, he wants to kill all the Jews. I'm trying to do the way they, it sounds. And you know what happens? The king is like, oh my God. He hangs Haman and that's it. Takes care of the problem. That's the end. There's no big war at the There's end. There's no war. The Jews don't fight. She just stands up and says, I'm Jewish and I'm fierce. I'm proud. And, she's, and my king, he took care, took care of everything and he stopped the bad guys. What do it, you think about that? I think it misses a, a deep element of the story, which is that it is important to stand up and be a Jew and the world is not always going to respond well to that. And then you have to own it. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta fight the fight. Sometimes you gotta fight when you're a man, you know, or a Jew. A Jew. Sometimes you gotta fight when you're a Jew. <laughs> All right, folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show. Rabbi Mike Foyer, thank you so much for your time. God bless you. Have a great Purim. Thank you so much for being with us on a great Shabbat. And all of you out there, uh, thank you for listening to this extra long show. There's just so much stuff that we have to uh, think about and talk about. Write me an email, Yishai at the land of Israel.com. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected. Rabbi Mike, thanks again. Uh, good Purim, good Purim. Good Purim, and may we uh, see g- through through the drink. Oh, and one last thing. Drink the wine of Eretz Israel, yes. Friends, friends, go to the store and buy the, the, the wine of Eretz Israel for your, uh, for your Purim. Please, like, let you, the, the thing that saturates that drunkenness of holiness, let it be on the wine of Eretz Israel, please. Not on the wine of Shushan, not on the wine of the Napa Valley, not on the wine of good Italian Jews, not on the wine of good Australians. No, on the wine of Eretz Israel. Be part of what Mordechai wanted to be part of, which was the rebuilding of the temple. God bless you folks. Stay strong, stay tuned, stay connected, and shalom. The best place to stay in Jerusalem is at Windows of Jerusalem Vacation Apartments. Check out their website, www.windowsofjerusalem.com. They've got beautiful one, two, three, four bedroom apartments in the best location in the city center. The view, the location, plus the wonderful staff will truly make you feel at home in Jerusalem. 
Book your stay now at windowsofjerusalem.com. Hello, my name is Tommy Waller. I'm the founder and president of Hayyamel. More than 12 years ago, I made my first trip to the land of Israel. What I saw and heard changed my life forever. I stood with Nir Levi, an Orthodox Jewish man in his vineyard in Samaria on the Mountain of Blessing. There he opened his Bible and read the prophecy of Jeremiah that said, You shall yet plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. We have the opportunity to join Israel as it celebrates the 50th year of the liberation of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Come join us as we witness the unveiling of prophecy in the Jubilee year. Come be a part of the biblical narrative. Go to Hayuvel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com, to find out more, and I hope to see you there.